1: Life is made up of millions of tiny moments. I believe that one of our tasks as humans is to be present for as many of them as possible. When you reflect on the unforgettable events or incredible memories in your life, zoom in and there will be these little moments before or after the event that sit in your heart space. The moment you knew things would never be the same again. The hour you felt the shift. The minute that saved your life or the second that changed it. These are the moments that build movements. Sometimes they are global and other times they are just the simple first step to change. Join me as I uncover these moments with my inspiring, innovative, and extraordinary guests. My guest today is Joycelyn Longdon, a climate researcher, academic, bookworm, and Gen Z disruptor. As she takes up space in the climate science world, she is grounded in a deep knowledge of her calling. Her reverence for spirituality and respect for Indigenous voices is admirable. Joyce Lynn is in her first year of a four-year Master's and PhD at Cambridge University. She is studying the application of artificial intelligence to climate change. In April 2020, Joyce Lynn founded Climate in Colour, an online educational platform and community for the climate curious. It stands at the intersection of climate science and social justice and is making the climate conversation more accessible and diverse. I truly believe Joycelyn's vision and calling is so divine. I am excited and honored to be speaking with her today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really, really excited to have you on. Um, I first discovered Jocelyn in a creative collective called Black on Black Creatives. Now, a lot of people know you at the moment for Climate in Colour, but I felt discovering you in that collective that was based out of Somerset House, am I right? Yeah. Um, and also, would you say collective or agency? So it, it sort of um, evolved over time. It started
2: as... Um, I don't think it ever was a collective. It started hmm. sort of as a, pl- a platforming space, a publication. yeah, And then it moved into sort of the agency realm um, as time went on. And that's where I sort of ended up at um, Somerset House.
1: Yes. And um, the, the core values or the reason for this was to connect Black creatives and champion their work, and also bring forward thinking brands together to diversify the creative industries. Um, I'm really keen to like highlight to people that you've kind of always been about this work of diversifying, using your voice and your um, expertise to diversify spaces.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> I guess it's seeming like
1: <laughs> a friend right now. <laughs> nice. Well, let's let's move on to where you're at now with climate and colour. Yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, Climate in Colour is a platform at the intersection of climate science and social justice, a space for education and sharing knowledge. So Jocelyn, when did you realise that we really needed this space?
2: So I think I was never, at the beginning, I wasn't like creating what I thought like everybody needed. like created what I thought I needed and Mm. as someone who was just about to embark on this huge degree, four years degree in the climate space um, that I didn't think that I was going to get onto, it was a huge shock and I hadn't prepared myself for really (laughs) how um, strange I am in this space. and how there's not really much of or at the time I didn't really feel like there was much of my voice being mirrored um, in the academic field per se and as you mentioned I've always sort of been in this space of using creativity to diversify spaces and that's sort of I guess what I like go back to each and every time and I thought okay how can I situate myself in this space what do I feel like is missing which is information being basically gatekept by huge institutions um, like Cambridge, Mm -hmm. um, and also that information being heavily created by and validated by um, a homogenous group of people who don't have the experience of um, all the different types of people um, around the world. And so it was important for me to create a space where I could share what I was learning for my own benefit in order to understand better where I am situated in this sort of climate space. But also, knowing that as a someone who loves learning, I don't necessarily think that you should have to go to university in order to know um, information that is actually quite essential to the decisions you make in your daily life and that have ripple effects on um, our global community. Um, And so that's really when I just thought, I'm just going to start this page. Um, And (laughs) I had no sort of ulterior motive with the page. As I was saying earlier, like I started it in April, 2020. And like I was saying to like my friends and my boyfriend, I was like, do you know what, if this gets 500 followers by September, you know, by the time I start my degree, then like, that would be amazing. (laughs) I really had no, like literally no, I do, motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I guess, um, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I really wasn't on social media like that, like mm-hmm. that, you know, I never had it as a um, ambition. I was never envious of people with big platforms. Mm-hmm. I uh, saw that as something that like I wanted. So like, really and truly, I was just creating for creating sake. I think that that's important. And I think that, yeah, being creative and using different media to um communicate points is something that I just enjoy generally and mm-hmm. and, and I, I felt like climate and colour at least for me sort of ticked all these different boxes um
1: yeah well, that I you, was craving. You've spoken into a couple of things that I think are so important. One is the decision to do something because you wanted to see it because you wanted to as opposed to Getting into this habit of creating in response to. I think because you answered a call within yourself of what you wanted to see, there was such an authentic flow with what you were doing, and the passion comes across so much. One of the things that I really love about Climate and Color is that it also feels so inclusive, and you get a sense that there is a joy. There is joy Mm. in putting out the information. And it's so lovely to hear that it's so lovely to hear how it was born and I think the reason why I sort of highlight that is because social media at the moment is for a lot of young people is sucking them in in sometimes negative ways and from the outside people can think you know uh, movements or big followings are born from deciding to get on Instagram because you want followers and this is valuable information for our younger listeners that Mm -hmm. you actually started with the passion first and you started with really caring about it and then the incredible achievement of of getting into Cambridge um and also can we have a moment for that because I'm proud of you I felt like your auntie when I read this I was like oh (laughs) but um let's let's talk about another element that you talked about um this wasn't on previous questions and feel free we can Mm -hmm. we can move on from it or not but Mm -hmm. you talked about being you in that space Um, and well there's so much you can unpack there but I'd like to know a little bit about um showing up in Cambridge on the course that you're in um and feeling the process the process that it is to feel confident and be yourself and um continue flourishing in what you do in a space that you know let's call let's call it for what it is it's very white it's very old school and has previously been very closed um and also I know a little bit of your story um, just from social media about how you got into Cambridge because you generously have shared that on your on it's on your YouTube isn't it yeah yeah so you can touch on that a little bit about getting in and believing You know, believing that you could and then getting in and then life in Cambridge for a young for a young black lady.
2: Yeah. so this is going to be very, very transparent. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) So from the outset, and I guess this is important because um, there will be lots of other people. I get so many questions all the time about my course and also the way that people sometimes treat me or like speak to me in the way that like I'm an expert and I like know everything. And yeah, I think that what I'm about to say will help people understand like who I am in this space. Mm-hmm. So I graduated from university, my undergraduate in 2019, um, summer, mm-hmm. And um, I said to myself, that I was never gonna do higher study. Um, one because I come from a low income background and I have lived on my own since I was 17, so finance is not there to support myself through higher studying. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I would get a first in my degree. I like basically until I got my undergraduate, I thought I was like stupid, like genuinely thought I was stupid. Um, really, yeah, <laughs> um, that's yeah. just like childhood trauma. From family, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, but. I didn't like I didn't intentionally, I didn't think I'd get to this space but then I got my first and I was like you know let me just browse, let me just see you know if there's (laughs) any funded um stuff going on and like literally the only course that I thought that I would want to do was this course. My undergrad was in astrophysics, I wanted to move away from physics and do something with purpose. Um, I'm a very spiritual person Mm. and I had been getting a lot of messages um, I I struggle with mental health as well. And at the time I was getting a lot and a lot and a lot of messages from God about that I needed, that I was like going to do something. And it was like really scary. And I was like, wait, like what is going on? Wow. Um, And that was the only course I spent six months basically um umming and ah ahhing, not going to apply, you know, the usual, I'm never going to get into Cambridge. I don't want to even go there anyway. You know, all of this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And my godmother um, had just got her PhD. Um, Now my godmother had been out of work for 20 years. Um, She was a nurse and she got back in without having to do a master's to do her PhD because she's that talented. um, And did her PhD with a husband who's a surgeon, four kids, like, you know, the whole shebang. She did her works and got it. And I spoke to her and, you know, I was like, do I even apply for this? And she was like, I just did it. And, you know, every everything was against me in, mm. in, 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 in completing that degree. And she said, you know, pick a list of supervisors that you're interested in their work, email them with your credentials. If it's positive, then apply. If it's negative, then don't apply. And the feedback I got back was positive. Mm.
0: Um,
2: and that was such an important thing for me to do. And I'm so grateful that she told me to do that because mm-hmm. right now, one of the people that I emailed back then, which was like, you know, nearly over, over a year ago, year and yeah. a half ago, is my supervisor now.
0: Oh, and wow. I'll come back
2: to that later. Wow. That's yeah. such a good full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so I applied, I was still, you know, then it came up to the point where I was taking Back on Black quite seriously and was at um, Somerset House, as you said and you know i just applied just so that when i'm 50 and i think about what i've done in my life i don't regret never having applied um to a course that i you know could have got into um and i got an interview my interview was terrible i do talk about this in the youtube video i left that interview bawling my eyes out (laughs) i was just so embarrassed and mortified i felt so stupid i
1: Yeah, it was like, did you feel what did you fit? Did you think that you hadn't been your best self? Or did you feel that they made you feel like you shouldn't be? I feel like
2: I wasn't given the opportunity to show off my passion and Mm. my knowledge. I had prepared so much. And I'm so passionate about the topic that I want to study. And a lot of the questions, I guess I found quite patronizing. Mm. I guess I thought they were focusing on things that like were obvious, you know, like, do you know that a PhD is hard? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be applying to it if I <laughs> yeah. you know, didn't understand that. Um, so yeah, that's everything up until getting in. Mm. And I guess a lot of my issue, and I guess this is different because it's lockdown. Mm. Um, and so I haven't really experienced Cambridge as Cambridge. I mean, I live here, but I've never been in, to my building um oh, yeah of course that, like everything has been online and that poses a whole lot of difficulties i got nothing to do with my race but I have mm. everything to do with academia and just how stressful and yeah crazy academia is it is yeah um, I guess in terms of diversity and my passions it's quite difficult being in a space the climate space which The climate science space, the tech space, which considers human rights or human involvement or sociology as a complete afterthought, if not irrelevant. Um, and that's a huge struggle to deal with because you're constantly having to revalidate to yourself why what you're why you want what why what you want to do is important Mm. um whilst all of your teaching sort of goes against that
1: yeah
2: (laughs) Um, yeah. and I'm again coming back to talking about my supervisor the only thing that really keeps me so grounded and so grateful for being here this is one of the upsides of going to such a rich and such a prestigious university is that the academics are first class Mm -hmm. and my supervisor I have a Main supervisor and a co-supervisor. My main supervisor is in the technology space, and my co-supervisor is in the sociology space, which again is a quite a strange thing for the space that I'm in. Yeah, um, and they are both just so amazing. They know more than me. They invite me to webinars and seminars that stretch what even I thought that I could know. I'm learning so much from them, um, and they are also so behind and so sort of supportive and encouraging of what i want to do and you know are taking all the effort to make sure that i can um follow my values but at the same time still um get that across to my department in Mm. a way that like is valid
1: yeah Yeah. wow it sounds like what a blessing to have that support you know it's little moments like that where it's a supervisor or a teacher or a person that's placed yeah. in a way that they you realize why they're there and you can have such appreciation for those moments that make you go oh my goodness thank thank god you're here yeah. to carry me through this um or not even carry carry you through to be there for you yeah for sure um oh you touched on so much i'm going to go back to something um that might surprise people (laughs) from everything you said because you gave us a a wonderful insight but the part about knowing that you were going to do something the spiritual element of it Mm. and um, connecting that as well with depression Um, I've been thinking recently I've suffered from depression as well and I was listening to a podcast and also thinking about the connection that depression has with sort of spirituality and soul work and how if you develop how developing a language or naming things differently can help you through um, particular moments and I know they're very different things you know clinical depression is clinical depression and some people will need medication or you know to see a doctor and there's also an element of it that I find that feels quite spiritual as in there's such a discomfort with the soul in the body that you're kind of like what is this thing I can't shake yeah and um I wondered if you had any thoughts about those connections and also how you've managed to deal with any kind of periods or cycles of depressed or depression during these studies which I imagine can be quite stressful
2: yeah um yeah, this whole episode is just going to be transparency central. So, um, yeah, I was diagnosed with clinical depression in 2015, but I had basically suffered from clinical depression since I was like 10,
1: which is like wild. Um, did you feel when you got the diagnosis you were kind of like, "Oh, this makes so much sense?"
2: No, I knew it. I knew, knew. it already. The only reason I I got the diagnosis was because there was like a um intense period of like quite intense um self-harming thoughts and like my friends basically wanted me to go and get on medication Mm. Um, so that's like the only reason that I um, went to get diagnosed I mean I knew that I had it before Mm. Um, and then yeah after diagnosis I sort of went on medication for like two weeks and then you know they gave you the medication and they say let's see how it works with you then two weeks they will bring you back in yeah and two weeks later they never brought me back in so oh, right. okay <laughs> so <laughs> i was like okay i don't even like the medication anyway <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i it's so funny because i it's like like my depression is just me and i that's like what i Live with every day, um and that's not to say that I like don't have happy moments, but like that is an overwhelming like part of my life. But in the same vein as my spirituality, and it's so hard to describe. Mm. But like, it, in a sense, my depression makes me work on myself so much and makes me like crave and work towards a connection with God so much, mm. um, and I do a lot to lose control and like give that control to god and that's why i guess i'm saying that i knew that i was supposed to do something but like i'm just going wherever god's telling me to go mm. if that makes sense oh, um, so much so like that's what guides anything i do um and again a lot of my i i I wouldn't say I'm Christian, I wouldn't say I'm not Christian, but my family are overwhelmingly Christian and my godmother um, is always giving me you know such amazing insights um, from her sort of Christian practice and beliefs and and that pushes me on as well but it's the spirituality is less so to cure the depression it's just that this is like what I'm working with and this is what informs my life and I think a lot of the time why I end up in these situations doing you know Black and black or climate colour, and you're saying there's all these themes is because like I'm a huge empath. And I mm. think that that empathy um loops into my depression and mm.
0: into,
2: like what I actually do because I think that I'm being led there by God. Is this just like sort of cycle of sort of yeah, I don't I don't know how to explain it. Well, I, I you feel you
1: it, it does. I feel you, and as you're speaking, I just I get this sense. It, of a deeper understanding of why you're called into this area you have this intelligence and I guess a deep understanding of the current state of of our world and an idea or a passion to research what might what might happen how we might change and grow mm. um, and it makes sense to me when I think about the state of the earth and the planet, and I think about the people most passionate and I'd say desperate to, to have an awakening so that we might realize the state of things makes sense to me that there is an element of that around you, not to say that you should be depressed because of, uh, because of what you know, but it, it reminds me of activism or, um, having a deep love for something and seeing it in such a way that you wish so much everybody could and it brings you to this thing of like oh my god you have to you have to be in this world and you have to you know be your best self and show up in all these sort of ordinary ways and then alongside your passion intelligence and knowledge you have your heart and your spirit and so I can totally imagine how that feels that can feel heavy.
2: And I guess I can't I'm, I can't differentiate between that in my work because my work is incredibly linked to my spiritual beliefs. Mm. Um so I guess I haven't actually made it clear but I'm trying to look at applying artificial intelligence to climate change solutions and within that centering indigenous knowledge into algorithms um for many reasons because
1: oh, AI gosh is, sorry that is com- babe let's have a moment for that (laughs) so this is what your your master's and PhD at Cambridge is yeah so
2: yeah my course is AI for ER so it's artificial intelligence for environmental risk but that covers everything from um, renewable energy to climate change to biodiversity you know it covers basically everything within the environmental sciences and Mm. for me specifically Um, I'm in the midst of crafting my PhD proposal. So um, this isn't like 100% yet, but I'm going to be hopefully looking at forest environments, biodiversity, and how to incorporate Indigenous knowledge into algorithms for more democratic forms of engagement with forests. um, Because there are lots of issues with large scale conservation and big tech that are, you know, acting in a way that they believe is positive for the planet you know on this mass scale mass planting mass carbon offset system mm, mm. and that is causing human rights violations against indigenous communities who have been caring for this land um for millennia centuries um and, and it's rightfully their land. And yeah. I think that it's important that whilst we're crafting climate solutions that like, we're not pushing human rights to the back burner. And so I'm trying to incorporate you know, the science and the indigenous knowledge and the sociology all together into one PhD <laughs> to essentially hopefully change and disrupt what we see conservation as and what we see technology as mm-hmm. and how we prioritise indigenous knowledge in our climate mitigation strategies
1: girl you're a gift (laughs) you are a gift I I have done it yet you know (laughs) (laughs) the fact that you're articulating it in this way because you know having the thought and being able to bring the idea forward to us you are enabling us to vision another way of being and also just centering that Indigenous voice with AI, like even just hearing that in the same sentence for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the thing. I, I would never f- I wouldn't have the capabilities to do that. But the fact that you're able to bring the- these worlds together um, in the vessel that you're in is it feels to me it's just so special. This is why you <laughs> excite me. This is why you <laughs> excite me. Also, the timing of your voice. Right. We're. <laughs> 2020 was the year that it was and we also had Black Lives Matter take um, yeah. a, a more intense turn and I was saying a lot that the 2020 would be about a clearer vision and I didn't mean it in a sort of like just see just a you know 2020 vision I meant yeah. really I meant it as truth I'm, I meant let this be a period of deep truths and what you speak to me about in this moment and what you're trying to, what no, not even trying, you're doing it, what you're uncovering in your research are deep truths. And it's, they're like sacred truths of the land that have to come out. Um, I do think you have a, a certain energy that is um, connected to your generation as well. Would mm. you be considered Gen Z? Uh, yeah, I think I am Gen Z, I'm 1997. So. Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you guys have come with such mission and purpose, and I have such um admiration for it
2: yeah I would Thank you. like to say, like I talk about this with my boyfriend a lot, and it's like I just feel like no matter what people have to say, like in terms of looking around and maybe there's bias, but I do think that like Gen Zers are some of the most compassionate, respectful, mm. creative people that I've ever encountered, and this also comes with like how I've had engagements with people in quite difficult conversations no matter like I know that there are lots of racial tensions at the minute but like I'm here like doing workshops with Oxford students postgraduate students everyone is is sort of communicating in such a respectful way but also mm-hmm. such a challenging way and
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah I, I I feel very proud to be part of Gen Z and I think that like we have been forced to become these people because yeah. there's like not who else can we push on these issues to? It's on us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we are sort of stepping up to the plate, I guess. Yeah,
1: you have. Here's the thing. I think you do what millennials want to do in their heart, but we're kind of too um we're, we're too addicted. To or affected by our parents' generation, so we know what you're doing is right, but it's the um, the courage to embody it. And I think Gen Z has come in with this. You're like, we've got nothing left. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and everything to fight for. Yeah. So, whereas like I feel millennials can sometimes have this sort of battle of like ego and um, you know, I want to look a certain way and I, w- I want my life to look like this, Gen Z is like, what are you even talking about? You won't have an earth to live on, and yeah. you're worried about your mortgage. We're talking about the earth that your mortgage might not exist on. And there's yeah. just the, there's a deeper clarity to it. And um, and with the empathy and and kindness actually um i've i've found this to be true i've been on a few protests where i've met um yeah gen zers 19 20 22 year olds and they are first of all communicating um with people that they disagree with yeah. um, and creating space to to list to be heard and listen but also i guess it's this deeper connection with with the earth that feels quite urgent to them And you have it in your work as well. Another thing with what I enjoy about how you show up in the world is you're putting all the passion um, into this research and into this knowledge. So you don't necessarily do um, follow the waves in which activism takes place traditionally. Like people might not see you posting what the masses are posting, but you you use your education um, to come into the conversation with with what you know yeah. um so i really love that because there are there are different ways to be an activist you can be on the front line and you can also you know create the knowledge and do the research so thank you for that i really no love
2: it no i definitely agree with that and i like mainly say that i'm not an activist i think everyone is an activist <laughs> in a certain way but like there are lots of especially when you have a following on social media people like to label you um, Mm. without Mm. actually like asking you what you identify as Um, (laughs) and like I'm really not an activist if we're going by like what the like usual connotations of an activist is and Mm. I really don't identify with that label at all but I did Mm. a post on climate in color which is about what's my role in the climate movement and Mm. it was just to describe the fact that there isn't one way to be part of the climate movement. And I'm just sick and tired of people feeling like they have to change in order to join the climate movement, where it's like, we're all in the climate movement, we are all citizens of this earth, Mm -hmm. and we're all already doing things that can be applied and um, create change. If you're a musician, if you're an artist, if you're a filmographer, if mm. you're a healer, if you're a mother, if you're a cleaner, if you're a teacher, if you're a lawyer, if you're a tribal leader, you know every mm. person come with what you already have, and I'm coming with what I have, which is academia. Mm. Um, and creativity. I'm not about trends. I already told you I didn't join this space with any intention. Um, I'm not the news. I'm not any other influencer. I don't even see myself as an influencer. I'm literally an academic and I'm just trying to share the things that I'm learning and mm. to f- sort of um, fill that um, value system and calling that I was talking about at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like just want people to respect that. And I think people are really respecting that. Um, and this year I'm having a much better time on social media by basically not really being on it,
1: but being on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get into that, actually, because this is another great thing that you've done. Um, you are really clear on your boundaries and um, you've. it seems like you've got a really nice team around you as well. Obviously, it gets being a full time student and then having to deal with a platform that We'll have lots of inquiries and collaborations what is clear is that you you know who you are and you say what you can manage and what you can't and i and you also talk about not really being on on insta that much can you talk a bit about how you um learn about what what boundaries you had to set um whether it was a bit of a process and um and also team building as well because i think that's a really important thing for growth and it feels like you 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 knew this quite quickly
2: yeah so um a few ways to answer this question i think first of all i was quite lucky in the fact that um when i from when i graduated i worked both professionally and um not professionally but sort of like as an employee and as a freelancer in the sort of marketing design web social media space. And so I already knew about social media and I already knew about social media in a very like business focused way rather Mm. than like a personal way. Um, And so I already had that experience of managing a page
1: Mm.
2: uh, as a business, right? As an individual. Yeah. Um, And that's why I didn't use my personal account because Mm. as a person, as Joycelyn,
0: Mm.
2: I didn't post that much. I posted for the first time since November last (laughs) week on my account. Like I'm not on Instagram like that. Mm. And I've done that since sort of school times because it's bad for my mental health Mm. Um, and not for any reason. I mean, I've done a lot of sort of shadow work on Envy and I don't really have that anymore. Like I don't go on and see like a beautiful woman and think, oh my gosh, I'm so ugly. or I don't you know that's like not really part of my social media experience Mm. um and for the most part I don't go on social media because I love reading I love painting I love walking I like doing things (laughs) um and that is not conducive with a life on social media which Mm -hmm. is why um just as Joycelyn yeah wasn't my vibe Mm -hmm. and so obviously I didn't know that Climate and Colour was going to go to the size that it did Mm. and Another thing is that, like, people only see the Instagram side, but like, I'm creating courses, workshops, I have an online community and online reading group, I'm doing talks, podcasts, like writing essays, getting published in academic journals, like, there is so much that's going on, mm-hmm. on of Instagram, which is like, I don't think people get, like, everyone's yes. so addicted to Instagram, but they think the whole world exists on Instagram.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> It's it's just like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. And I also started to feel, because you asked whether it was a process, and I guess it was a process because I couldn't understand why everyone was asking so much of me on Instagram. Mm. Um, And I couldn't understand how a page that positions itself as an education page has so many demands that are expecting it to be a news site.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And there are news sites, there are climate news sites, Mm -hmm. not even mainstream news, but I would constantly share the sources that I read um, for climate news and people who are speaking on climate issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did get caught up in it for a little bit
1: yeah.
2: because you see everyone's posting all the time and you think, oh my gosh, like, am I supposed, is that what this means? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always been very self, assured and I was just thinking wait no this isn't this in my bio it says what I am it says education platform (laughs) yeah so I'm just gonna continue doing what I said I am yeah so like I don't know what people think doing a PhD is like like I I don't know what people's concept of doing a PhD being a human having a relationship Mm. having family all of that plus climate and color
0: yeah.
2: um, looks like. And I think it's because when things are on Instagram, people just think you're an influencer. Right. And climate color is a business. It's mm-hmm. not an influencing thing. Mm-hmm. I have a team of 10 employees, mm-hmm. like it's not just a page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember before Christmas, like telling someone that I had burnt out and that I was going to go off for a month or
1: whatever.
2: Yeah. And they were like, oh really? But and, and I said, like, you know, I've had a really hard term, Um, It's been really stressful, um, so I need to take a break. And they were like, oh, really? But don't you have a team? I was like, wait, what do you think that <laughs> <Like,
0: laughs> What do you think
2: I, like, do nothing? And my, that, like, who runs the team? Yeah. Um. And so I think after that, I was just like, boy, people just actually don't know what they're talking people about. Let me, just, let me just, let me just carry on with what I want to do and people can you know they can leave if they want to that's fine um yeah. i need to put my studies first also all the things i love first like i love reading and yeah. i'm so happy that this year i've got just got so much back into my reading i am a real bookworm and i'm mm. um,
1: yeah like yeah yes and there was a wonderful wonderful space that you made just to talk about boundaries that you um, made a point of putting on the page and I thought I thought it was great to to see that but also a good lesson for other people you know it's perfectly fine and, and in fact encouraged to to set your boundaries and say what you can take and it was very honest and and transparent and I think that was that was wonderful to read um so yeah it's it's wonderful to see and hear as well that you have those priorities in place because it's easy to get lost in in it.
2: Yeah. And I think I, I really do worry for people who don't have that in place because mm. like Instagram is an app, mm. like it's an app. And I think it's wonderful in so many ways. Obviously I'm a beneficiary of the app. Mm. Um, But I just worry that we're getting a skewed idea of what the world is mm. and like what interacting with other humans is Mm. and also of like what our own lives are yeah but it's like it's like virtual reality almost Mm -hmm. and I think as well a lot of harm that I see happen and obviously I'm part of this is that there were people who have been working in the climate space for decades
0: Mm. who
2: have been speaking on these topics for decades Mm. but because they don't have a uh, we, we, social currency is now the new capitalism and I spoke about this in the post as well like I'm not going to be adding to the noise in the climate space just because we're in the climate space doesn't mean we're all good doesn't mean that every mm. action we do is positive and we do need to hold ourselves to account that although the intention is there we are doing the exact same thing as capitalism is we say we don't like infinite growth but what are we doing we're constantly posting mm. we say we don't like the things that capitalism instill but we are just sort of copying that mm. in the climate space, this mm. sense of urgency, the sense of scarcity, those are all um philosophies of capitalism. Mm. and um I think how are you showing up outside of those spaces? It's not to say that they're not important, but I think that it gets to a point sometimes where it's like really unhealthy and mm. where I would literally be spending twelve hours researching, studying, reading, crying mm. over. <laughs> climate science right yeah. yeah and then someone will dm me and reproach me for not posting about something like what do you think i'm doing all day? like what, <laughs> what do you actually think how am do you... doing
1: <laughs> oh wow wow so i
2: think we need to like understand and be more compassionate which is why i want climate in color to be a, a quite joyful place because i think compassion is important and i don't subscribe to being sort of angry doomsday seeking
1: Mm, mm, mm. Uh, yeah it never feels like that on the platform you i feel like i'm getting the facts about what's happening but it doesn't feel like yeah it doesn't feel doomsday but it feels like this is the reality that you need to understand and know um yeah it's it's important to have that in the mix.
2: Because I just think and I think that every, anyone who's feeling down in the dump should read, read Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit because that is exactly my vibe. It's like what is the point in being doomsday and making people burn out? Either they go one way which is there's no point, we shouldn't do anything, we're screwed, mm. or like are just invested in the doom mm.
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and that doesn't... I'm interested in imagination, I'm interested in sort of dreaming up futures. I'm interested in exploring different knowledge systems, exploring how we can work together as a community to create futures, plural, because we all have different ideas about what the future should look like. And I don't really believe in a sort of homogenous utopian ideal, but I think that that's what I want to encourage on my page. And that's what I wanna speak about. And there are lots of other spaces that offer other things that are different and
1: you know oh. people can go to those places if they want <laughs> exactly exactly on the point of when you just said hope in the dark and um you know your real life um that you prioritize mm. what kind of things do you do to unwind to plug out um I I imagined I think I said this to you earlier like I just imagine you loving nature and having you yeah. know the most amount of joy with a book in a field. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um is that the case? And is is looking at nature or being in nature a chance for you to sort of I guess understand more of what what you do and, and what you love? Yeah, I mean it's,
2: I don't even feel like it's looking in nature. It's really like submerging myself mm-hmm. in
1: nature. Um, yeah, that's the word like- actually.
2: Yeah I just feel like I'm home when I'm in nature I just feel so that so when I'm talking about like being on Instagram and like do people know what's going on in the real world then like I also apply that to myself doing my degree and then I go outside into nature and I'm like wait no this is the real world you know (laughs) if that makes sense like yeah you know I'm so so lucky um to live where I live now in Cambridge like I Mm -hmm can see the woods and the bird song here is just insane it's uh-huh. just amazing um and it brings me so much joy but even where i grew up i again i grew up in a council flat but we had like a brook behind the house there were lots of fields yeah even though it was london um i grew up sort of adjacent to a lot of very like white middle class areas so that was a privilege in itself even though i grew up low income i sort of had access to um fields and canals and woods and all of that good stuff so i've always felt like that's been around me and um my boyfriend is from cornwall and i've spent a lot of time in cornwall i will probably settle in cornwall i even though i'm a city girl i like the country is literally where I feel oh. at home
1: oh um, that's beautiful
2: yeah and and that is my yeah that is exactly how I relax but it's it's not really relaxed it's a very active mm. engagement mm. when I'm in nature it's it's not just relaxing like to relax I might paint or I mm. might read but like when I'm out in nature it's sort of like communing with God and so like part of my spiritual practice I like read some spiritual texts from different religions. And I'm currently reading the Dhammapada and in it, in my last sort of session, it was just talking about how like beauty is truth and nature is beauty. So hence nature is truth and nature is God. And I was just like, that is how I feel about nature. And I guess it's like going to church for me mm.
1: is nature. Um Your, your spiritual foundation and that i'm learning about in this conversation is m- my favorite thing <laughs> just just knowing that you have this exploration of the sort of awareness of spirit and how it's part of and the foundation of how you're moving in in the world and how you're showing up um how has that deepened or changed in recent years is it something that you've always had you have talked about your christian family but mm-hmm. in terms of finding your own um your own voice your own spiritual voice i guess or, yeah. or path and you talked about shadow work as well that i'm very interested in
2: yeah so i've probably been so i um when i moved out when i was 17 that was probably like the end of my like strictly christian sort of experience mm. um and so that was how many six years ago mm. so I guess I've been on this sort of journey of finding my spiritual voice for about six years mm. and it, it ebbs and flows I wouldn't say right now I'm at my strongest I think the strongest I was at was after my graduation wow I was just <laughs> so in tune with everything that was going on um and yeah so that so it, it ebbs and flows yeah. and sort of at this point a lot I, I think this point is a lot about learning mm. and I was saying earlier to my boyfriend that like after this PhD is done I'm gonna look back and be like wow what just happened <laughs> because I like grow so much every single day and I'm challenged so so much and mm. My spirit is challenged so much. Um, It might be the stress of doing a PhD, but it also I think is um, a consequence of coming to Cambridge that Mm -hmm. I do have a breakdown once a week. And that is like a sort of, it's just like a switch. Like the week's really busy, you do the week then you're on the weekend really tired and exhausted and then you break down trying to recover from that week so that you can like go into the next week and like that's the routine
1: when you and, say breakdown what does that look is that just like a complete wipeout? you're lying in bed can't move or no that's a very emotional release of... okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay okay
2: <laughs> um... tears Worry and anxiety, and you know, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I'm useless. I'm not adding anything to the world. You know, just complete spiraling of thoughts
1: um, and then sort of getting over it <laughs> mm-hmm. and then finding yourself. So, do you do any kind of like meditations or yogas? Or, yeah, is there, is there time for that? No, yeah.
2: Oh, I make time for that. So time. I, wake up, I wake up really early. So, I have like two hours in the morning, most mornings to do meditation yoga so I do yoga probably
1: mm.
2: five ish times a week maybe more if I want to mm.
1: uh,
2: and I maybe meditate and journal like three to four times a week yeah um, because I don't see those as like activities they're like they have to be a part of being my, yeah of being <laughs> yeah um and so that's the time that I like will read my books um like not my leisure books like mine more like spiritual teaching books
0: and Mm, mm.
2: yoga and meditate um and journal and when I'm journaling I'm really just talking to myself and asking myself and yeah yeah, kind of communicate what's going on in my head
1: um yeah yeah I'm so happy that you have created that space and I completely agree and relate with the um the practices not being something that are negotiable you know there are right. some if you're if you have any mental health issues or or depression in my case my meditation is completely non-negotiable my yes. morning walk is non-negotiable yes. it's you know it, it, these are the things that just
2: <laughs> they have it's to it's like happen. brushing
1: your teeth yeah
2: you know, yeah it, i wouldn't leave my house without brushing my teeth i can't start my day without you know having a moment for my spirituality even if i'm very pushed or i've woken up late like it has to happen
1: oh gosh okay well we have to I don't want to finish this conversation (laughs) uh, I've got your email now so I'm like being like can I have a chat with you Um, (laughs) I've got a few more questions I'd like to ask so we are this will be coming out in um, the week of International Women's Day Mm -hmm. um, and this season has featured some of my favorite women yourself included um, across the arts so we've got Janelle who is a yogi, and has done great work for making the yoga spaces more inclusive. Shingi who is a a wonderful um, British singer, songwriter, artist. Mm -hmm. Um, And the three of you have shown up in this world to me in your true selves. And in little and big ways, you've stepped into your light. And I just find you all very illuminous. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're my woman of the month. (laughs) Um, And I would like to know if there is any women that have um, inspired you Mm -hmm. to do what you do or yeah. The two main women would be my godmother and my mother. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: They are both. Yeah. Just incredible women that have such strength, like the way in which they deal with problems that come up, which are plenty. Mm And the way that they, the faith that they have in God and the positivity that they approach life when they shouldn't, when Mm -hmm. they should be completely and utterly frustrated or upset is really inspiring and is making me, you know, makes me all the time push to be more conscious of, you know, all the privileges I have Mm -hmm. on account of them. And and yeah, you know, those are the two women, probably two people I care about the most. Yeah, like what they think about me, or you know, I'm representing them. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so those would be yeah. I love that. I love that
1: close (laughs) to home. And then my final question is: I'd love to know a bit about what your hopes are for the future. Um, I know it probably feels like a long way away now after the PhD but also just maybe your your vision for how you'd like the world to move maybe an I an ideal maybe it's kind of a bit more it might feel like a dream but something something that you think is maybe possible and that you'd like to see or something you want to to work towards or make happen through the work you do yeah
2: i think i'll keep this quite specific because in the climate space um i think most people agree that we can flip from being really ideological to like being like oh my gosh this is never going to (laughs) happen and we all sort of know the things that we want to come true renewable energy etc so i'll be more specific to like my space and i guess i my sort of hope is that i am sort of successful in disrupting technology space Mm. um and in showing and being an example for how to do equitable uh sort of decolonial work with communities that are really important and to platform and to give voice to people i hope that there's a future where storytelling is a important part and a sort of central part of our lives um and that we become a more empathetic society that cares about our communities um global and local Mm -hmm. and i sort of want i hope that there's going to be a future where everyone can self-determine the future that they want again like I don't believe in a homogenous utopia Mm. but I hope that there's a world where someone in Ecuador can equally determine their life as someone in Ghana can equally determine their life and future as someone in London and that all those people can be provided with the necessities the human rights that they deserve Mm. um, and live in the ways that they see best for their communities um I think that's really important to me and I think that that's Something that we haven't, as of yet, achieved. Um, I don't think that whether we're talking about rich con- countries, there's no self determination. Poorer countries, there's no self determination. We think we got self determination here in the UK and the US and the EU, but we don't really have self determination. And I think, and I guess that's my hope for the future: self determined futures um, that are based on equity um, and and community and sort of compassion.
1: Oh. Uh. Wow, that was music to my ears. Thank you so much. <laughs> really, I you are such an incredible soul. It's been such an honor to speak to you. I'm so excited about what you're going to do and how you're showing up. And you, you really feel like the embodiment of what so many of us have been calling for. And without putting pressure on you, you know, and that the entire community is listening. <laughs> <through. laughs> uh, there, there's something about the way you're doing what you're doing that just feels really luminous and special, and also your humility. You are, you're so humble and um, and kind and compassionate, which which obviously which means a lot to you, and it is just so so wonderful to to be around so I am going to be rooting for you all the way oh thank you so um, much and I'm going to be following along oh I did want to add if anyone is interested in going a bit deeper or learning mm-hmm. um with climate and colour you offer a course don't you the colonial yeah. history of climate climate do you want to talk a little bit about it they can yeah. go on the website yeah
2: yeah for sure I might just speak really quickly about it the colonial mm-hmm. history of climate is a course um that it's an introductory course. It's about an hour of content on the website, but it's broken up into modules. And um, it has sort of integrated prompts in it to sort of um, give a backdrop to how our current climate emergency is based off of colonialism and how climate influenced colonialism and uh to give a backdrop as to how we sort of should go forward in terms of combating these systems within our solutions going forward um but that's not the only way that people can engage if they want to learn a little bit more there is the climate and color community which is which you like can subscribe to through patreon but it's hosted on a different platform called circle mm. and we have like a monthly reading group for people who are like daunted by academic papers but really want to know what's going on in academic
1: oh yes yes that's great yeah
2: so i like basically provide the academic paper highlighted with and then i provide a document with all like a whole summary in case you can't read or don't want to read the academic paper Mm. as well as an audio version of the academic paper um so that everyone can access it and then we have a monthly discussion where we talk about the topics and the issues in the paper and we also mark and market on accessibility to sort of see where academics are going right and going wrong. Um, And that's just a space to like dive deeper into what's going on in climate science, but also like in ecology and conservation and environmental justice um, a little
1: bit deeper. So yeah. Amazing, so many resources, so much to offer. And there you are, this is what I mean, showing up in the world. (laughs) Um, It's It's such a great joy. Um, Thank you so much um thank you everyone for listening um as we've said for you having me <laughs> no thank you thank you so much and yeah you can find out more about jocelyn via climate in color go on the instagram or the website where there's a plethora of information and as as jocelyn has just shared thank you so much bye
0: <laughs> bye